Hey, Greg. Hey. It's Wednesday, September 27th, 2017. What are you into? Well, you know, it's, it's, TV is coming back. Uh, it, it's waking from its slumber and network television's coming back. And that means The Good Place is back on. And I'm enjoying that new season of that show very, very much. And there's also a new show that we're going to talk about in depth today. Um, it, it's, it's a Star Trek show is back on television. So I've been watching that and I've been watching The Good Place and I have been continuing to just grind a bunch of loot in Destiny 2. You haven't read any more yet? Um, you know, I've been, I've been picking at um, Before They Are Hanged, but I just haven't had a ton of reading time over the last uh, couple weeks, to be honest. And by that, I mean, I've been playing too much Destiny. <laughs> hey, you know, it comes and ebbs and flows. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we have uh, our episode tonight. The theme is, is would you say like kick-ass ladies? No, that's not really the theme, <laughs> but kind of is. I don't, yeah. I don't know if we have a theme. I think it's just that um, with uh, the new Star Trek series, we both uh, we both checked out the first episode of that. And we also both finally, in this past week, both got around to watching Wonder Woman. So we thought we would uh, use this episode to kind of uh, talk about our reactions to, to those two things. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, now that Wonder Woman finally hit the, hit the rental services and, uh, we were able to check it out because, you know, I am on a very limited go to the theaters <laughs> kind of budget right now, um, with the new baby. So Wonder Woman was not on my see it in the theater list, but, uh, but should we talk about it? Uh, let's wait a little longer. No, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this very topical movie that was the big hit of the summer. Released six uh, months ago. No, I was six months ago? <laughs> Not quite that long. Uh, all right, so, uh, yeah, I, I watched this, and, uh, you know, um, I'm going to start off and say this is the best movie DC has made in a very long time. Yeah, since Richard Donner was working for them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. Well, maybe, um, <laughs> but I, 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 I liked it a good bit. Yeah. I also, I liked it and I really tried to kind of measure my feelings about this based on how bad the other DC movies are. And I was really, I was like, I'm not going to give this thing credit for just being not a garbage fire because I was worried about that. And I also tried to temper, you know, hearing a lot of great things over the spring and summer about this movie, trying to go into it, not with any of that baggage. Um, so I hope I'm being fairly objective here, but. Yeah, I kind of tried to do the same thing too, because I was also concerned about that, you know, comparison thing. So I tried to compare it to other good superhero movies and other good movies, as opposed to the bad ones that DC has put out. Although yeah. I think keeping those in mind also betrays some, some problems. But so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll just jump right in. And so yeah. I thought that, um, you know, this is Wonder Woman's an interesting character in the way they positioned her because she's sort of, at least in the sort of the version that the DC movie verse is taking, is she's sort of almost halfway between Captain America and Thor. <laughs> I mean, this movie yeah. is basically those two, you know, the two Marvel movies put together. Uh, I do like the choice to do World War One quite a bit. I think that there are some things that, I mean, they, they, I think they got home that like this war is really shitty and kind of pointless and terrible, but now they fully grasped the, the true like horror that is World War one. And also the fact that like killing Germans in World War one 
doesn't feel quite the same as killing Germans in World War II, even though, you know, well, there's a lot of research on the role of the citizenry during World War II, and I'm not going to delve into that. Uh, but it's still just like killing Nazis versus killing, you know, Germans who are just on the other side of a stupid war feels not quite as like, yeah, yeah, get them kind of thing, you know? Yes, yes. But I also appreciate World War One because World War Two is such well-trodden ground, and I think that there's a... I don't know, there's just something exciting and, you know, kind of fun to watch about, you know, like biplanes and guys literally dropping bombs out of them with their hands. And just the spirit and the feeling of this is a little bit more kind of optimistic a little bit. And I feel that fits the time period a little bit better than World War II, which is the grim dark war. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think that if it was a 1914... I would be like, yeah, yeah, it's the optimistic time, but like, this is supposed to be the end of the war where we've just sure. really, like, killed 25 million people in brutal, nasty yes. ways. Uh, things that didn't even happen in World War II because they decided that they even, you know, wasn't going to happen in the uh, on the battlefield in that time period. But just in, in terms of our cultural memory of yeah. the, you know, the 1920s versus our cultural memory of the 1940s, yeah, a little bit different. Well, we also, as Americans, we lost far less people than, you know, anyone we we escaped that war relatively unscathed yeah that's what um, that's what you get for sitting most of it out yeah well, yeah that's <laughs> what are you guys doing over there but anyway so um i thought that the you know to go back to where i started with this that the beginning you know where they kind of positioned this the movie had a lot to do it kind of had the exposition of almost both like thor and captain america where it's like all right we need to like place the setting and the context and the time period and how she fits into this historical event but also position of how she's essentially a god and this kind of weird, uh, you know, which I'm glad they stuck with an origin that, you know, she's had a couple different origins and I like this one. It's good. Um, and, but I just felt like the beginning was a little bit, it was a little slow. It was a little, it was a little exposition heavy. Um, I didn't not like, you know, like a lot of this stuff, but I, and like the Themyscira and everything, I just thought that there might've been some, you know, movie things to have been like better writing that could have maybe expedited some of that or maybe interspliced that with some flashbacks or something that maybe wasn't just like studying the first half an hour or 20 minutes, you know, kind of learning about that. Yeah, I felt like we spent a lot of time learning about some things, but not about other things. Like, I mean, I actually enjoyed, I enjoyed the way they set up Themyscira and I thought it was really like, it just, the vibe and the feeling of it, it really had that kind of like 1920s fantasy writing, Hidden Island, Shangri-La type feeling. And um, so I liked the the vibe of it, but despite all the exposition, I still feel like I walked away with too many questions. Like, so what are what are the Amazons? Like, what's their base power set, right? Like, is Diana, like, is her, is she super strong and can jump really far and do all that? Like, is that because she's like a special kind of Amazon? Because they kind of hinted at that when she does her big jump onto the tower to, you know, get her starting gear. But but then again, it's – and they kind of were hinting like, oh, she's special. But that just wasn't clearly established. Like, are these just, you know, essentially normal women who happen to be really good at fighting? Or do they have special powers that Wonder Woman, you know, is she's just a normal Amazon going out into the world? Very unclear. Um, and also – if their whole like divine purpose is to fight Ares, why aren't they out fighting Ares? Yeah. I felt both those things were also clear to me that 
like you said, it wouldn't be that hard to, I mean, they, I guess the point where she does her little wrist gauntlet power thing, whatever that is, like, that's the only time where she seems abnormal compared to every other women. Right. Like, then we see, like, by the end of the movie, and I think part of it is that she's growing her power set, which I can, I can handle that sort of thing, like, kind of realizing how strong she actually is when put to the test. You know, but she's lifting tanks over her head and, like, you know, going through a big explosion unscathed. But then in the end movie, you're not really sure, like, is a bullet going to kill her? Like, yeah. Yeah. I felt throughout the whole movie, I kind of was just like, I'm not really, because, like, Wonder Woman is one of those characters who is oftentimes makes those, like, you know, when those clickbait sites that are trying to make you scroll through every single list, <laughs> you know, the things we'll do when we'll, you know, when we're trying to make money someday. Um, Wonder Woman also often makes those, like, top 10 most powerful characters in DC. Like, she's beat the shit out of Superman sometimes. Like, she's no one. I mean, this is a different version for sure, but that uh, this version is just a little bit unclear to me. And the Ares thing, yeah, it's like, well, what are you waiting for? And Right. Why are they hiding and practicing their battle and all of that on their hidden island, which is hidden so that Ares can't find them? But but then what's the point of them? It, it, that part was very unclear. And also, look, if you're going to establish gods in your movie and you're going to have like, these are legit gods and um, certain gods are the offspring of other gods, you kind of need to be a little bit clear about like what the parameters around godhood are and... I mean, if Diana is the daughter of Zeus, is she the daughter of Zeus and another uh, another god? Is she is Hera her mother? In which case, then okay, then she's a full on god, and that's interesting. <laughs> or is she a demigod like Hercules, where she's the son, you know, uh, you know, it's Zeus plus a mortal woman? That part's unclear. And again, it's just understanding, getting a baseline understanding of what can she do. Um, and then her whole like Dragon Ball big red bubble with from her wristbands thing was never explained. Yeah, and <laughs> and also like not familiar. Like that's not a thing that I see her do like in the comics or like in right. you know car- cartoons I've watched with her. And like that's not like a thing. It's like you know other parts that they go her carrying a sword and shield. It's like yeah, I've seen her do that before. That makes sense. But like this whole and like deflecting bullets with her gauntlets. Like they don't, we don't need to have that explained. We get it. But like that whole like this kind of seemingly important plot point is just like what is that right and all the amazons were like oh shit she did the she did the energy wave and we got to get her out of here or something and meanwhile it'll be like so did they know what that was and that freaked them out or were they like or what the hell was that or right but even then they'd be like oh as a warrior race you have a new power and since we're all warriors Maybe this is a good thing for all of us. Maybe we all can learn how to do this. Where did she get those magic wristbands that apparently only she has? Like, these are the things that, again, it was like, it was heavy on exposition, but it was also way too light on exposition. And then, like, even that, like, that's her super move. Fine, I get it. Superheroes get to have, like, their super move that they can only use under certain circumstances. But you got to tell me what that is. Yeah. Like, is it she, you know, has to like deflect a certain number of things with the wristbands and then they power up? Or is it just she gets mad enough and it works? It's just, yeah, not. And and it's weird because like, if I try and think back, like, I'm not completely positive, excuse me, <clears throat> Um, both uh, Greg and I are partially in the throes of being sick. So bear with us if they're <laughs> weird things. Um, <clears throat> So with two things here. First, I'm not really clear if Thor is, is like, above and beyond what a normal Asgardian is, like just in bodily strength and durability uh, from the Marvel movies. But for some reason, it doesn't seem as important. Maybe because he's not 
And I feel like you can get more action because there's a lot more action with him and the Warriors 3 and Sif and everybody flying around. I know that he has Mjolnir, which gives him extra powers, but it's still unclear. Like, does that make him even stronger? But for some reason, it didn't bother me as much, even though it's kind of the same situation. Yeah, and Thor is, like, at least in that kind of Asgardian pantheon in Marvel, like, each of those, you know, Asgardian deities, like, is a unique thing. Like, they're all a different god or goddess of something. So they all have, you You assume each one kind of has their own, like, unique power set, like fighting game characters. But the Amazons, it really seemed like, oh, no, they're all just really good you know, really powerful warrior women. Like, it's not like they really set up, like, they're all going to have different powers. Yeah. So you can imagine, like, oh, Thor is really good. He's got a really good set of powers. There are other people who have other sets of powers, but where it's, like, with the Amazons, it just seems like they're all kind of equal, uh, at least in terms of their abilities. So... And, and one other minor note here that I was I thought was a little bit uh, of a weird choice was this storyline of, like, or the beginning, you know, of uh, Hippolyta's um, uh, exposition about, like, the background of Zeus and Ares and everything. It's like, wait, so all the other gods are dead besides Zeus and Ares? Like, boy, you just, like, for sequel territory, you just really nipped yourself, like, you know, I don't know, you really cut yourself off there. I mean, I know, I don't think this is going to be, that's kind of where Wonder Woman treads, though, you know what I mean? She sort of operates in that realm a lot. So to be like, well... And if Ares the bad guy in this one, probably going to die. Like, now it's just Zeus left? Like, seems like a weird, weird decision, but... Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's just a minor note, but... So what did you think of the action? So, you know, the action was the biggest bag for me. I remember seeing all this, like, oh my gosh, the No Man's Land scene. Like, it was it was mind-blowing. The best action scene of the summer, blah, blah, blah. You know, basically what she's liberating Veld. Uh, and, you know, when she first gets to the front. And, like, don't get me wrong. There were some really, really cool parts of that. And overall, I like it. But they really are leaning heavily on the Zack Snyder CGI, slow-mo, super stylized, super posy fighting. Yeah. And I don't like it. <laughs> like, it works <laughs> so for I'm... some things. And, you know, one thing that I always gave to Zack Snyder's credit was like, and he didn't do this in, in Man of Steel, which is why I think it's weird, at least that I remember. Because one of the things that I thought Man of Steel did right was that it partially because of technology available, but like it really made me feel like, yeah, this is Superman I've been reading about and watching on cartoons, like power level and like how he can fight and fly and how fast he is and how strong he is. Cause nothing else, you know, before, obviously the old ones, they didn't have the ability to really show that, but like it really made me feel like, yeah, these guys are, are living gods essentially. And once again, here, I sort of felt like they did a lot more of that, but also I still was unclear of like, the stakes and how strong Wonder Woman was throughout most of this stuff, but yeah, no, I I thought the the kind of the speed ramping, I think they call it, where you know they're ramping up and down. Um, I think that makes sense in a certain way because you know when you want to show like she's you know ten levels above a normal person in fighting ability, like you know slowing down the action so you can see what she's doing, you know, in in such a short span of time can work and it allows you to see like you know whatever complex maneuvers she's pulling off so conceptually i like it i think they leaned on it a little hard in this one like you should really only do it to like kind of zoom in on the technicalities of the fight as opposed to here's a dramatic scene a dramatic pose we want to show it to you but i also think part of this is and this is my one complaint 
about Gal Gadot is the she's not selling the physicality like in 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 a, and I don't know if this is her fault or the director's fault or the CG or what, but in a lot of the action sequences, is she her body language just says I'm a person posing in front of a green screen, like she. She doesn't look like a warrior. She looks like a catalog model pretending to be a warrior. It, there's a there's a weird kind of fakeness about the body language and just the way she kind of carries herself and holds herself or the way it looks on screen. Um, that reminds me a lot of the scenes in Game of Thrones where Daenerys is on the dragon. Yeah. And like, it just doesn't look right. She's either too stiff or not stiff enough or it just doesn't work. And there's so many moments in this where it feels posy it doesn't feel like i mean and did you know actually to zach snyder's credit like if you watch 300 where there's a lot of that really posy melodramatic action shots like those actors are really selling it and it's working even though it's really all very melodramatic and you know overwrought it's working somehow but in this it just it, it's it doesn't look right she I hate to say it looks fake, but she doesn't look like she doesn't look like she's a part of the action, or that she's really moving her body in the way that we're look seeing. It's hard to explain. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And when you wrote some of the show notes, I, I crystallized, and I really don't think it's her. I really do think it's the CG and the direction because, you know, talking about to keep going back to Zack Snyder, like since it's, this is his style, this is without a doubt his style. Yeah. But it's not. It's with his style without his experience and like. One thing Zack Snyder has done pretty well, even though it's a very specific style, I think his action scenes are usually pretty good. Even in something like Batman or Superman, like there's some really yeah. cool action scenes in that that I really enjoy. And, you know, Watchmen, although it's not the place for it, there's some good scenes. Like, And like you said, the ramp up style, I don't mind per se. But think about in Wonder Woman, they aren't ramping up when she's doing things quickly. And we need to, show, we need to see how, like they aren't slowing down when she's doing stuff fast to show us how awesome she is. They only slow down for crazy posy yeah scenes like that which then it just feels like you're just going between regular speed and slow-mo posy speed as opposed to like uh you know slow-mo action scenes and i think the cgi was really subpar and then it makes her stick out because you can't and they're they slow down at weird points and like turn the camera and stuff and when you're doing that with really like and the character is currently in cgi mode and the cgi doesn't look good it makes yeah. them kind of look distorted and bad. And like, it just really stuck out to me. And I just don't know. I don't know how or why major phone companies still struggle with this. Like, come on, it's 2017. Like, if you don't know how to do decent CGI, like it should be very obvious that you're not doing it well to trained eyes. Right. I mean, I don't even know. untrained like, eyes, untrained eyes. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, it's if it's obvious to us and, you know, there's just been so many examples of this over the past couple of years. It's just like, what are you doing? Like. <laughs> just like crazy i mean like and i'm not someone who's like anti-cgi or whatever like but it should be it shouldn't make you it should be invisible right like yes even if you know it's cgi like i know rocket raccoon is cgi but i don't feel like i'm being reminded of every 10 seconds where in the action scenes i was reminded plus i think it's a combination that like everything is cgi and it's not good it's that kind of stylized snyder style cgi where it all looks you might as well be watching a, like a video game cutscene. yeah where, like the background is CGI and all the, the items are CGI and all the things they're acting with are CGI and the characters going back and forth between CGI. So it feels very loose and flighty in that way that too much CGI can, yeah. too much bad CGI can bring you. And I think that's where this is coming from. So I think they were, you know, kind of 
trying to ape Zack Snyder's style without having some of his knowledge of the art, which is a weird thing to give to Zack Snyder, but <laughs> I guess I'll do it. I mean, I, I still really like some stuff, and I still liked is that her style of play and that kind of stuff was cool. And I really liked, I mean, to switch a little bit, I really liked her. Yeah. Uh, the, also, the reason I think that I don't think it's not her is because she's like a trained person. She was in the Israeli military. Like, she knows Krav Maga. Like, she's, you know. Like, sure. She's not no, like, she... uh, uh, and I've seen her, like, some of the training stuff they showed, like, rather videos and, like, some funny Conan skits. Like, she can fight. So yeah. I think it's, I think it's on, like, a, I think it's more on the direction and the CGI and the, and the filmmaking style as opposed to on her. Well, I, you know, and I, I, again, I don't want to put too much on, you know, because there's, there's a lot of things that, that go into this and I don't want to just say it's her. Um, but there is something to be said for, there's a big difference between, you know, having genuine combat, real world combat expertise and, you know, being able to, you know, do stage or film action. Like they're, they're really, really very different worlds. And even if she's very, very competent as a, you know, as a fighter in, in real life, you know, that doesn't always mean it's going to, she's going to be able to, you know, make it work in front of the camera. Um, no, you're right. You and know. that actually probably, probably even means it's harder. Like, cause real, real world fighting looks nothing like what fighting on TV and movies looks like. For yeah, the most part. I, you know, as, as an example, um, there's a, a series of Hong Kong action, uh, films if man based very loosely on the man who trained bruce lee and in one of the more recent episodes in the series it's donnie yen who was um the blind character in rogue one um and they're great i mean they're, they're fantastic kung fu films films and some of the some of the best uh you know kung fu scenes i in the last decade or in the, that series. But in one of the recent ones, he fights Mike Tyson. And clearly it's not like, it's not like, I mean, it's played by Mike Tyson, but he's not playing Mike Tyson because these movies take place in like the forties. <laughs> so, or fifties. So clearly not, but like it's Mike Tyson and he's playing a Mike Tyson type person and they have a fight. And even Mike Tyson, who knows how to hurt people real good. Um, <laughs> like he just, he doesn't sell the action as, as well as Donnie Yen, who is just, you know, um, an absolute master of, uh, you know, on-screen combat. So anyway, that was a weird digression. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other casting things to move into that area, like, you know, I actually really like Pine in this movie, uh, Chris Pine. Yes. I thought he did a really good job. I, mean, I was kind of expecting, like, oh, they just cast, like, you know, regular old Chris Pine, right? Just, like, throw a Chris in there, because that's what you need to sell a movie, right? <laughs> but, like, Hollywood Chris's. Yeah, like, I, but I really liked him, and I actually really thought that, like, they had really good chemistry on screen. I just, they just really sold there's which most of the movie is them so i think that carried a lot of the movie for me and why it was why it stuck out as good to me is because the them two together did a, a solid job i thought yeah and i think that the, the the writing around their relationship as well like that even though like obviously they set up sexual tension you know in scene one which makes sense they are young beautiful people but like the fact that you know he was you know the, the for a very long time, he was like trying to be like, no, this probably isn't right. And also, I really have – I have an important mission. Like, I've got to end this war. <laughs> like, because in a lot of times, you know, movies, they set up all these grand stakes. But then it's like – then characters fall in love and all of a sudden time stops and they can just goof around and they lose all their priorities. And they both kept their eyes on their priorities. They had a little dal dalliance there in the, in the middle. But um, their relationship was really not the key – thing in the movie and you know it fit in well with who both those characters were and the mission that they felt they were on 
Um, and yeah, he did a good job. I Again, I think that he's like a lot of these Hollywood leading men. Like he just, you know, give them a chance to play a little bit and maybe not be the, you know, you know, maybe not be the, you know, super hunky, always, you know, always right guy. Um, yeah, I mean, like the scene where he, well, spoilers, obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the scene, the scene before he, uh, you know, sacrifices himself to destroy the gas. Like that was a really good scene. Just like it wasn't over dramatic or you know overwrought. It was just like, yeah. what the hell am I doing? I got, I got to be, you know, just like it's very, it seemed very real. And I just really, I don't know, I just really enjoyed his performance throughout the whole thing. So that was that was good. I wonder if um, kind of what they've done in other past Wonder Woman things has had like Steve Trevor's, you know grandson or whatever like come back and it's basically the same guy i wonder if they'll <laughs> do that for like wonder woman 2 have him because like you know i'm sure they they would want, like to use him again or something i hope they don't so i think that's kind of silly yeah also kind of creepy it's like dude you slept with my great grandfather and now you're gonna <laughs> sleep with me like, I, I and know. i and i really like that they didn't make it his movie either yeah they did not uh, they did a good job with that i mean we'll say some, there's some of the some of the humor didn't stick for me yeah like most of it was okay but like it kind of like it kind of lingered on like the it's a penis joke for a while. Yeah, I um, didn't like that. And like I liked the secretary. I thought she was good, you know, good comedic relief when she's walking, you know, when when Wonder Woman's walking around London. I liked I liked that scene yeah, for the most part. Yeah, that was a really fun scene, yeah. Um but for the most, for the most part here we go. There's a couple just like eh, I, that really didn't stick for me. A little cringy, but Yeah, and there were a lot of a lot of the jokes relied on little just kind of verbal exchanges that were really anachronistic. Yeah. Like yeah. just the some some of the times when and I don't know if because the actors were ad libbing or just because they thought it would be funnier, but it's like that is not how people talked. That is a very modern way of talking right now to get this joke out and meh. Yeah, and I want to talk about something. You know, maybe maybe we can. This will be a, a, a I'll do a segue before we do have to do a segue. Talk about like language and closed captioning and like when to do subtitles and when to do accents and all those <laughs> kind of things. But I just, I just, I hate that. Like, just like make him just speak in German. I don't know. Or like, I don't know. It's just, I guess it's just like a frustrating thing. Like, I know, I know like Americans are very like anti-subtitle kind of culture. And I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I can be part of that too. Where like, oh, this, this, this movie on Netflix sounds really good. Oh, it's, it's in Spanish completely. Like, I'm not sure if I have the mental energy to just read this movie right now. But it just seems weird, especially when like then Chris Pine is affecting a German accent to indicate he's speaking in German, but then there it gets a little messy in there. So, so yeah, I guess a I, lot of movies do this, but I agree, and I think that there was a weird thing like when this movie was kind of aping the tone and style of you know that kind of cultural memory of like you know pre pre war or I guess interwar like Americana and you know uh, that kind of Indiana Jones feel. Mm -hmm. um, then it's kind of like, I don't mind when the Germans are just uh, non-German actors putting on a German accent because it just – it kind of fits with – that's what you would expect from a movie of that period. And it's yeah. fine. But then this also, but this, and then this movie also tried to be a very modern movie, in which case, no, I want my German characters to be speaking German and I just want subtitles. Um, so, yeah, I – it didn't quite work for me either. Uh, as far as like the other – I mean – I think the movie did a good job of not bloating very much. Like it, it didn't really, um, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a de detriment. I'm not sure. Like the Motley crew, they assembled, you know, their howling commandos essentially like, yeah, eh, so, really eh about that. So that was weird. Like, because, why are they there? Like they didn't exactly, do anything. <laughs> exactly. Like I was like, Oh, cool. Like, I can't wait to see the, you know, I can't wait to see the drunken Scottish, 
sniper do some cool sniping stuff. And he didn't. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't wait to see their, like, undercover man. Although, honestly, having a, an Arab man in the 1920s as your undercover guy in Europe, maybe not the best choice. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, because especially in the 19, you know, in the 1920s, Arab men in Europe, kind of easy to spot. But whatever, you know, hey, they want a diverse cast. I'm fine with it. His scene where he actually got to, you know, be the be an undercover guy, like, yeah, it worked. But like, you didn't really get to see them that much. And it was just like, what's the point of these dudes? Couldn't it just be, you know, uh, Steve and Diana? Like, could it just be those two? Because the others didn't really contribute at all. And in fact, I felt kind of cheated because I, you set them up as like these cool ragtag, like, you know, well-drawn characters. And then you've got the, you know, the Native American character, man without a country, like, although his, his acting was a little rough. Yeah. And but, uh, a little heavy handed. Also the, he's supposed to be like that chief character from back in the day, super friends, the guy who like, really? Goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's who he's supposed to be. And it's kind of like, I don't know. And they're like, they're like, maybe he'll come back someday and like get his powers. And it's like, I think you probably should hitch your horse to something else. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I felt like they were underutilized and, and kind of a waste of time. But, um, I mean, uh, so there is something, <laughs> can we talk about the ending a little bit? Yeah. That's what I want to talk about. Yeah. So I was kind of disappointed with the ending. Especially because with the closing narration where she's talking about, and now I try to like save the world through love. And I'm like, cool. But that's not what happened. Like she saved it by murdering a god and blowing up an airbase with like a Dragon Ball energy corona. Like it, it's – I really would have liked to have seen this not have a typical superhero ending of – uh-oh, here's the big, you know, faceless bad guy. And, you know, oh, it turns out we're related. And now we really have to fight. And I have to discover my my true powers to beat them. And it's just, I've seen that so many times. And I really wanted this to be a different kind of superhero movie. And in a lot of ways it was, especially tonally. But story-wise, it was just beat by beat by beat, like, this is a typical superhero movie, and I really wanted Wonder Woman to not be typical. Like, some kind of alternate solution to, you know, Ares. Like, kind of the, it, like, to use Doctor Strange as an example, where, like, there is no big final, like, showdown of, you know, we're going to stare at each other and use our different energy beams. It's like, no, Doctor Strange is going to, like, use some kind of, like, magical trickery and play a mind game with the bad guy to get out of this. And I'm like, that's that's good. That's an atypical ending. And I really would have liked to have seen Wonder Woman have some kind of solution other than just sh shooting better fire. And also, wait, so so Ares has lightning powers and can throw lightning bolts now? Yeah. Because that's literally like that. Zeus's deal. Yeah, they could have done a lot better job with Ares. Like, I thought he looked okay once he got all armored up and stuff. Because it was before when they originally started, I'm like, ooh, this looks weird. Because that guy is not the, like, you know, paragon of action star. Which, which was fine. It was a nice, I mean, that twist I kind of saw coming a mile away, but, um, but more like just could have had him do something more interesting than just like throw I mean, this, this gets back to sort of like the action being a little bit generic and being the negative side of Zack Snyder action, which sometimes it just gets very CGI 
explosions and fire. Like if you so if you take the last the fight scene in that movie and the last fight scene in Batman vs Superman, you could not tell the context apart. Yeah, because there's just burning fields of CGI and gray and black and darkness and. It, there's no context like that's why we used to take, compare it to something like the airport scene in civil war where it's bright you know you can tell what's going on there's things happening in the background as opposed to just like everything fades away and it's just yeah. these two people on you know on string flying in front of a cgi screen just like ha, ha, woo, ha. Yeah. like you know just like throwing stuff at each other it's like that's not fun to watch i mean even though i think i think Snyder does a better job of it than this movie did in that kind of style but yeah, I was pretty disappointed. I mean, I really wanted it to be when she killed the German general. That was going to be the moment where it's just like, yeah, Ares isn't a thing or he is a thing, but it's more of like a ambiguous thing or some other kind of thing where like, yeah, you can't just shove a sword through him and win. Well, and that's yeah, I, I think that like doing something where so he's the god of war, right? He's not the god of magnetic metal powers or lightning. He, he so the way he should have been attacking her would be like suddenly all of the all of the soldiers in that base just become raving suicidal bayonet charge like he's actually using war against her rather than just oh i've got generic bad guy powers now i'm going to throw stuff at you and i'll shoot some lightning at you it and then if she had to like rather than defeat one dude with similar powers to her own she had to like deal with an entire, you know, air base that is now out to get her and converging on her. And like, now she has to solve the problem a different way because she doesn't want to kill all these guys because they're kind of brainwashed. Like that could have been neat and maybe jived with the narration at the end. But instead we got something else. Yeah. I mean, there's two directions you could go in my mind because also because from my memory, which Greece wasn't my like subject area of always, but I learned a lot about it. When you read something like the Iliad, Ares is the only god that doesn't really get a personification. Like huh. he he is more it's more of a he's more of a a force, you know, a corruption among men as opposed to like and then Ares like Ares never walks in a room and has a conversation with Hera. He only shows up in the battlefield and only spurs on, you know, war and the lust of fighting and those sort of things. Um the other direction you can go which is, you know, once again not to ape Marvel but Marvel's Ares, who kind of had a little bit of a peak. I don't even know if it was a character prior to this, actually, <laughs> but he was really kind of in the, in the spotlight during the like post Civil War, like Dark Reign storyline, because he basically takes the place of he was on he was in the Avengers for a little bit, and then he takes the place of Thor in the Dark Avengers, run by Norman Osborn. But and I'm gonna have to find it, but um, there's a really good kind of like one shot about him, and he's just like I'm just good at fighting, like guns, knives. You know, everything about fighting I'm good at and he'll use any of it and kind of just like love the thrill of battle. It's not exactly what this movie is going for. Those are two directions you could go where this just felt like bland. Just real well, bland. And to take the idea of Ares is, you know, something that exists in the hearts of men, he's not personified. Cause they kind of went that direction with the idea that they kept trying to push, like she kept saying, like, if we kill Ares, the war ends. Mm-hmm. And this creates a really big problem for me in the larger universe, right? Yeah. So we kill Ares, that ends not only this war, but war, right? Because all of war comes from his corruption and so on and so forth. So 
And there's kind of a back and forth between her and Trevor, like, he's like, no, killing one guy isn't going to stop war, blah, blah, blah. We have to do these other things. And she's like, no, I'm just going to kill the guy and the war is going to end. And the movie kind of says she was right because she kills Ares. And then the next the next scene we see is like Armistice Day and the war is <laughs> over and yeah. everybody's pretty much happy about it. So and the movie never comes back to be like. But actually, no, war still happens. It's like, no, war is shitty, but we killed Ares, so no more war. So are you telling me that in the Zack Snyder DC universe, there was no World War II? There was no Vietnam? There was no Korea? There was nothing? I I mean... Because Ares is dead. That means there has not been a war since World War I. The war to end all wars literally was. Is that what's going on in this universe? Because that's fucking weird. <laughs> it'd be a different it'd be a different take, that's for sure. <laughs> uh yeah, it'd be it'd be different from very different from the um upcoming uh so this this they just they've been announcing that in the the DC CW universe with the big crossover kind of arc is going to be this year. And it's being called crisis on earth X, which is basically an alternate earth where the Nazis won world war two real original. Um, and there's like dark versions of the flash and Supergirl and arrow and whatever. And they're gonna have to fight, I guess. Uh, so guess it's very different from that universe though. This is the, this is the universe where war two never even happened. No, there has literally not been by the time, Man of Steel, you know, happens. There has not been a war in 90 years. <laughs> I'm going to just roll with that, even though I know it's not true. Just like and try and just like make weird like assumptions and connections about like why this fan theory is accurate. We'll have to do a deep dive then. That, all right. that would require us to rewatch all the Zack Snyder movies. So. Uh, uh, death first. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I walked away from this. I know we we, you know, spent some time, you know talking about our gripes, but I mean, I came away with this from a lot of positive feelings and it's a movie where like, I still kind of, I'm still kind of thinking about it a couple days later. Not like I'm trying to like puzzle out the meanings of the plot, but like, you know, there are a lot of movies where you, you watch them and then 24 hours later, you're like, oh yeah, I watched that movie. (laughs) Whereas this, like it's, it's sticking with me. Um, I think that just the tone and the feel of it, it felt lighter. It felt brighter. It felt more hopeful, more, it enjoyed itself. It, uh, and I mean, honestly, like there were, there was a moment, I think in that, the scene where they were liberating that, that city, like that town, um, where like, I was like, that is Wonder Woman. Like the, the, just the kind of the elements of like glory and awe and power. I was like, this is something I haven't seen in super superhero movies lately where like the movie is not afraid to really make you like really root for the hero and really, really like appreciate them and be like yeah they're cool um yeah and I'm, I'm glad that they went that route with her because she is a character that has been portrayed a lot of different ways and the most recent way not most recent but one of the most dominant paradigms of how she's been portrayed in the, maybe the past 20 years has been like kind of aggressively mean and like kind of like aggressively naive instead of like optimistically naive yeah and like just coming across as, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but just like she's been not a very great character for in some in some of the more recent comics in some people's eyes. Some people have been, you know, claiming character assassination and that kind of that kind of thing. So I was glad they sort of started from scratch here and went back to roots as far as I'm aware and and made a character that is compelling because, 
you know, when when she shows up in, I, I still say that like, she's the best part of Batman or Superman, and I'm looking forward to seeing her in Justice League, uh, which apparently some early reviews are saying that it's pretty good. No, no, I can't believe it. But not possible. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna withhold judgment on that. But, um, but yeah. So I'm excited to see more of her. I like to see her in yeah. a more capable action star, action director's arms, perhaps. But, um, hopefully they can improve some of that for the second one. Because uh, they did just say that and I think it finally that Patty Jenkins signed on for the second one. I guess they were debating money because I'm assuming she got paid very little for this first one. And she did not make a ton of money. And that was a little bit of a news story at the time. But then, you know, Cooler Heads prevailed and said, like, no, it's not because she's a woman director. It's because this is her first major outing. And this is actually fairly typical for, you know, uh, anyone at this stage in their career. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, this was the first superhero movie I've seen in a long time where they just made the hero unquestionably good. Yeah, that's true. And that was so refreshing after seeing so many, you know, where, oh, they're kind of a shitty person, but they're finding their powers is helping them get better. Or, you know, like, ooh, this is really conflicted about how, you know, uh, he's a tool for the government, but he's his own person. And it's like, it was really nice to just be like, no, she genuinely wants to help every single person she can, often, often foolishly so, yeah. <laughs> like often at the expense of other things. She just wants to help everyone she can, and it, that was just great to see for a change. I agree. So uh, hopefully we, they can keep that character as a good foil to like murder Batman and d- dumb looking Flash and Rockstar Aquaman and. Hopefully have some, you know, and that kind of seems like they're setting up is that like Batman and Wonder Woman are the people who are guiding this universe, which is fine. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Well, so let's fine. take I'll a say just we... fine. <laughs> All uh, right. Let's take a break for some news and then we can talk about Star Trek. Yeah. So not a lot of news this week. However, there's something I wanted to talk about, which I think is very interesting. And I want to speculate a little bit. Uh, there's a report now. It's an unconfirmed report, although something like this would probably never be confirmed. Um, but there's some evidence to back it up. Is that reports are coming out that ABC had wanted to cancel Agents of Shield for the next season after season four, before season five, which debuts this December, roughly uh, after Inhumans is done. But Disney said no. You have to keep making this show. And it's interesting because uh, Jeff Loeb, the guy who runs Marvel TV is on record of saying that when they cancel agents of or sorry, agent Carter, that he's like, yeah, we're beholden to the network. We didn't want to cancel the show. We being Marvel, we being whoever. So what do you think about this? Man, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's, you know, we get into these hugely ver- vertically integrated media companies where, you know, ABC is owned by Disney and Marvel is owned by Disney. And so you assume Disney is at the top of the chain. So, and Marvel is probably at the bottom. So ABC wanted to ax this thing and then their bosses said no. But at some other point, you know, Jeff Loeb, you know, again, at the bottom of the chain, uh, I guess Disney didn't intervene on Agent Carter for whatever reason. I don't know why Disney thinks Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is all is, is so important. You have to figure, you know, TV shows get canceled when they stop being profitable. That's the, that's how it goes. And, um... You figure if ABC was like, yeah, Agents or Agents of Shield is no longer a profitable show for us. Costs too much to make and doesn't get enough advertising money. So 
let's get rid of this. And Disney was like, no, this is too important. That's weird. Because Disney is a company that exists to make money. And I would think that they'd be willing to cut any of these more ancillary products. Just, you know, it's like, ah, that was not making money. Fine. Get rid of it. We don't need that baggage. But it's strange. Yeah, because the key, the key in my mind is that if this was, it is, and it is ancillary, you know what I mean? It is because of the way that there's, you know, there's been a lot of discussion and endless discussion about why there's no crop, very little crossover between the TV and this, in the movies and, you know, partially because of scheduling, partially because of the corporate structure of Marvel and Disney, how Marvel TV and Marvel movie studios are basically completely separate entities. And, you know, there's some people at the top, but there's really little, very little connection and discussion and, but it does make you wonder, it's like, what are they doing? Because <laughs> if, if it was super connected and super entwined, then you could say, all right, well, it's not profitable, but it's you could say that it's being tied to, you know, the bigger Marvel properties and it's all part of it. It's a little bit of a some of the mortar in the bricks, you know. But it helps okay. sell it helps sell tickets to Captain America movies, so right. we keep it around, right? And maybe yeah, they maybe they think that, but I don't know why they would think that. Because I don't yeah. think that's the case. If I mean they, they slotted it in the they slotted it in the death slot, you know uh on friday it's on friday nights at nine o'clock so yeah uh nowadays i don't think that's quite as important no. because most people are watching things asynchronously but uh it is interesting because i i just wonder like if they're like maybe they think it's going to rebound maybe they i mean maybe i mean they would have had to make decision a long time ago before they knew humans sucks <laughs> um but i wonder i just really or, or or why not say you know what yeah abc why don't we just toss it to netflix they'd pick it up i bet maybe Maybe, or maybe uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's what they're hoping happens. Maybe they're they're hoping that they have to that they need a year to to keep it around before they can move it to Netflix or or something or their own streaming service, which is where all the Marvel stuff is going in the future. Oh, you know that never occurred to me that like the Marvel shows on Netflix are not going to be, but they're Netflix I, shows. That's I weird. would imagine those are going to stick around because they are produced by Netflix Studios. Yeah, so. Okay. Those will probably stay on Netflix uh, once they start their big transition to the their own streaming service. But that must be a, a gray area for them on that. Like that's a weird, not a gray. I mean, I'm sure it's very legally drawn out, but like that's like a weird situation. But, well, yeah, yeah. So um, I had one more, uh, just bit of news because I just saw it and it popped in my head, and I was just curious your thoughts because you're Greg and you have thoughts about lots of lots of things. Um. <laughs> They just announced that the next Terminator will come out summer 2019. This is the one that's supposed to re-energize the, you know, the the franchise. And James Cameron is getting involved again and blah, blah, blah. Greg, what are your thoughts on this? Nope. <laughs> Look, Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 are the only Terminators that matter. They were both products of their time. Terminator 1 is a, you know, perfect 1980s um, action horror movie. And... Terminator 2 is the perfect 1990s action movie. They are lightning in a bottle. You cannot, they, intelligent people have been trying for decades to find some other way to make Terminator work and they have all failed. Leave this thing the fuck alone. And you can't re-energize it by bringing in 90-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger and 90-year-old Linda Hamilton. Like that's going to bring the juice back to this. They were, I mean, just walk away just you know what you want to make a lot of money on terminator just re-release t2 every summer <laughs> just put it back in theaters i will pay to see that on the big screen every summer Ugh. yeah i would too dumb 
Yeah, I mean, I, I did not see Terminator Genesis. Uh, I heard it wasn't, like, the worst movie ever made, but that it was not very good. Um, I think that Terminator 3 is in that same category as, like, well, it could have been worse, but still pretty bad. I just don't know how you revitalize this genre you don't. in any way. You don't. I, I, yeah. Because it was, it was, they were magical movies of their time with actors at like just the right point in their careers and a cultural context where they made sense. And what makes those movies great is not all of the interconnected lore, right? And that's what all of the other movies have tried to do is turn this thing into like, oh, the time travel lore, just walk away, guys. This is done. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they are good in spite of the time travel lore, I think, more so than yes. because of it. So, all right, that's that's what I thought. But, you know, I was just curious if you had some pitch that you, you know, how, how to do Terminator right again. No. But, uh, and I also think that James Cameron is not your knight in shining armor here to come no. salvage this because, you know, I was just reading this similar article. He's like, yeah, I'm basically describe it as I'm working. I'm working on Avatar during the week and Terminator on the weekends. It's like, yeah, uh, stop. No. Just stop everything and, you're doing. And the reason. Like, are these movies ever coming? Are Avatar movies ever coming out? Not that I, I care. Not. I don't know why they're not. Like, I just don't know why this is a thing that's happening. But what, that's another weird, like, lightning in a bottle situation. And not, not the good kind, just like a weird, like, why did this do so well and capture yeah. the entire world's, like, you know, eye for a summer and then everyone promptly forgot about it? Well, and if you look at James Cameron's, you know, some of his biggest, you know, movies, Aliens and Terminator 2, those are both instances where he came into a franchise and basically took them in a completely different direction. You know, he he basically he well he did basically the same thing on both. He he took Alien, which was a horror movie in space, and turned it into a Vietnam movie in space with aliens. And then for Terminator, he took what was essentially kind of a horror movie uh, that happened to have a sci-fi action twist and turned it into just a balls-out action movie. Yeah. And so he, if that's what he does, how he can't convert it again? Like, what's he gonna do? Turn it into some new genre? Like, no, he turns he turns horror movies into action movies, apparently. And ugh, walk, ugh, turn it off, shut it down, turn it turn off it into into a psychological thriller. Uh, yeah, no. But anyway, shall shall we move on to the more important news and talk about Star Trek? Let's talk about Star Trek. Now we've talked about Star Trek discovery a couple times on the podcast before and i was never hopeful about it because i'm rarely hopeful about things but you and i we both watched the first episode uh both uh, the, the first and second episode are available now on cbs's weird streaming app um but uh i went into this with you know my arms crossed and my skeptic face on but I tell you, man, when when that ship came through the clouds and they played those first couple notes of the theme, I got me some goosebumps and I had so many feels. And uh, holy shit, they they made a Star Trek show. It, it is some Star Trek ass Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm I mean, holy shit, I was floored. I mean, maybe that's low expectations, but. Man, they got me. They got me. Yeah. Uh, so for those, you know, maybe who are hopping on the podcast without any background, Greg's a pretty big Star Trek fan. Yes. Uh, to put it lightly. Yes, yes. Um, and I have never seen, I've seen the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. 
Full stop. Any, full stop. <laughs> I mean, probably I've caught something when I was a kid and don't remember it, but this is in my conscious memory at this point, that is the only thing about Star Trek that I, now granted, I'm a nerd that lives on the internet, so I've accumulated right. bits and pieces of knowledge and, and lore and understanding of things. Also, I you know, may have read one or two, like, what would win, the Enterprise or the Millennium Falcon kind of thing when I was like nine, which maybe stuck with me, but uh, yeah, I know nothing about, oh, I also played the, um, there was this really awesome arcade game, like one of those like light shooters, rail shooters. It was like a Star Trek game. I played that a lot when, at the at the at the Laser Dome. None of these um, things. None of these things matter. None of these things matter. But I'm just trying to get it out there. But uh, I I have a lot. I have some questions. Okay. Yes, please. Uh, and then we can dig into it more because I thought sure, I, sure, sure. I think I like I think I like this. Okay. But first question. Yes. Is Star Trek? typically just 40 minutes of techno babble yes uh star trek actually okay. coined the term techno babble back when they were writing scripts for uh next generation uh they would actually as they were writing the script they would just insert like in brackets the words techno babble and then they would like basically fi- make it up on set uh about that stuff i thought they might have leaned into that a little hard here um i think maybe they can dial that back a little bit yeah because large swaths of this was just like people sitting in chairs going did you turn the defibrillator to 96 yeah Yeah. why did i try this it's like i don't know what's going on it doesn't matter (laughs) a little too procedural at certain moments like and i get that maybe you know they're trying to establish starfleet as a very kind of rigorous um by the book type of organization so i think it helps to kind of you know set the tone and then when you have, you know, the kind of near mutiny at the end, like, you know, that, that makes that all the more powerful. Yeah. But I do think, yeah, the <laughs> counting down the entire pre-launch checklist, you're also like, this is like, takes place in the 2250s. Like, a lot of this stuff would be automated, right? <laughs> like, Yeah, and it's like, why does it take this many people to fly a ship? Like, there's a <laughs> lot of crew. Like, they kept, it kind of felt like the episode of Rick and Morty where, like, more characters kept showing up as, like, the episode yes. of... Um, <laughs> Total Recall, Total Recall, where, like, more characters kept showing up. Like, one point, there was that person, that crazy, I don't know if they were a robot or had a robot thing on their head, and they were yeah. like, beep, beep. I was like, what was that? What, yeah, what no, I want to know more. I want to know more about the Daft Punk crew member. <laughs> yeah. They just kept coming, and I was like, how do people sit up here? Because like, that's also that's also a little bit of a anachronism in the fiction, because uh, Data is the first android, right. um, and, that, and he's on Next Generation, which is 100 years after this so i'm kind of hoping that that weird daft punk crew member is some kind of uh isn't an actual android but some kind of like cool alien that has to live inside some kind of computer suit kind of like uh that one race from the mass effect games where they're like gaseous and they have to live in these suits but yeah i bet i bet that's what it is because i that's a pretty big yeah lore point and this show seems to be leaning into like i I wasn't sure the reason I ask these things is because I wasn't sure what the show was going to be, if this was going to be a throwback, not a throwback, but like really recreating Star Trek for people who like Star Trek or trying to like, you know, revitalize the show and make it more. And there's, I think there's, I think the answer is that it's bits of both. Yes. But I felt like this is a show by my understanding of what Star Trek people like and what Star Trek is. This seemed like a Star Trek show. Yes. Now they, they have made some deviations from the formula that I'm skeptical about. Like, so Star Trek, <coughs> all of the series, you know, uh, Next Generation is my home base. Further we get from that, the less 
you know, experienced I am, but I've seen enough Deep Space Nine, I've seen enough Voyager, and enough original series to to say, and I assume Enterprise, which was the short-run series that came before Discovery, that they were much more episodic. They were much more... um there's a they run into a problem, they come to some planet, and there's something they have to resolve, and they work through it in the space of an hour, and there aren't really season-long arcs. You know, occasionally, you know, like Q will come back later on, and there'll be kind of an ongoing kind of story that might span a couple seasons, but it's like one episode at a time. Um, whereas this really seems to be taking on more of what I would call like the Breaking Bad formula or maybe like the Netflix Marvel show formula where you've got one kind of big bad enemy that drives the plot for the season. Um, and it's going to be much more serialized, which I don't necessarily have a problem with. I love TV shows that have that format, but this would be a change for Star Trek and it would also be a more modern thing. So I have to see how that's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the route that it has to go. This is my personal opinion, because I think that the age of outside of comedies and even then, I think the age of serialized or episodic TV is is coming to an end or has already ended um, outside of some niche areas like things that are like kind of silly, supernatural or anthology shows, kind of like Black Mirror. I mean, I can't think of a show that's like I can think of shows that are widely popular that are episodic, but I can't think of shows that are critically well received that are episodic i mean everyone has their procedurals that they that their grandparents watch or whatever but as far as shows that like someone you or i regularly watch not many of those are episodic anymore and i think that especially when you're talking about a, a series that's on a streaming service and is a limited run what is this 10 episodes 13 episodes something like that i think I so i think so you know i, I think to, to have it be you know i think it'd be nice to throw in you know if a season's 10 episodes maybe two but then that like two episodic episodes, but those can kind of sometimes deflate because kind of the, the Marvel Netflix shows kind of have that problem where like they kind of tend to try and do a couple side quests. But then it just feels like, well, like, let's just get back to like what we're supposed <laughs> to be worried about right now. Yeah. So uh, I think that is the way it has to go. But I understand why you would feel like, you know, you're, you're missing out on something. Yeah, I, we'll see. Um, but speaking of the Klingons. Uh, what did you think of the Klingons? That's weird, man. <laughs> like that, that's the, 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 the way the Klingons were handled showed me that this wasn't a show for like my parents. Cause that's the point where they'd be like, I'm out. Like whatever's going on in this weird stuff with like these weird ass subtitles and people in prosthetics so he so thick, they can't even move. Like now granted, I have to say, and this is, I'll just speak to the costuming right now, but like the costuming in the show is Awesome. All of the production values are how the fuck is CBS paying for this? I mean, it looks really good, especially after watching just I like literally finished Wonder Woman and then watched this. It was just like this. This looks better than Wonder Woman. Like this looks so. I mean, space is a little easier to do because there's you know some things yeah. you can do. With this, but like, wow, does it look good? The only part that I think didn't look great was when she was in like the suit and she's flying. And it looked a little bit like green screeny, but like her her head yeah. right around the edges of that looked a lot so great. But like space looked beautiful and the ship looked cool and like the the costume like the um what is it uh he's like is he third in command i don't know there's probably a the thing science the officer the science officer yes yeah lieutenant um, commander sirak or something like that sir suru i think yeah so who knows <laughs> um some some sci-fi ass name uh he looked like 
really, really awesome. Yeah. Like really, really good. And uh, I was just like in the way they, you know, where I felt that the Klingons, I don't really know what's going on. I, I got it that they're like supposed to be like these like warring families and they're trying to unite. I know the Klingon Empire is a thing later in Star Trek. I'm not sure if this is the backstory of that. Yeah. They also look a little different than what I remember. Yeah. I that's like an update to this. I know there's like a weird like, it's a whole weird like. Yeah. All right. Let me talk about that real quick. All right. Let's, all right. let's go down the rabbit hole. So, okay. So if... The Klingons that most people are familiar with are the Klingons that you saw in Next Generation or in the um, original series movies. Um, so think of, you know, Lieutenant Commander Worf from Next Generation. So they all have brown, reddish-brown skin, various shades within that, uh, you know, but it's all reddish-brown skin. They've got the forehead ridges. They've got dark brown hair that kind of comes down from, you know – kind of like a skullet uh and they've got beards and um and they all look that way and they have a certain kind of you know uniform that you know it's silver and black and it's pretty standard google klingon and you'll see it um and but then the klingons from the original series are just like dudes with dark skin and dark hair That's because it was the 60s. And at some point in Star Trek lore, they have tried to square this circle and say that, okay, those Klingons from the original series have a weird genetic virus that the Klingons experimented with. They tried genetic engineering to make themselves stronger by mixing their DNA with humans, but then they got too human, and then it became a a virus and it actually spread and they had to beat it. So you have some Klingons who don't have the forehead ridges, and you have some Klingons who do. All right. Weird. But that whole bit with the augment virus kind of got resolved around the time of the Enterprise TV show, which is set in the 2150s. This is set in the 2250s, 100 years later. But now these Klingons, none of them have hair. They have, some of them are pitch black. Some of them are like albino. And they dress very much differently than any of the Klingons we've seen before so i'm kind of hoping that they chalk that up to like oh these this is this weird collis worshiping uh offshoot of the main you know klingon empire and so they've got their own kind of uh style of dress and maybe they cut their hair and um maybe they're all outcasts because of their weird skin colors or um also is it a little worrisome that they made the most evil Klingon, also the darkest skinned Klingon. I feel like we could have done better than that. But um, but also their ships look a lot different than the sh- Klingon ships we're used to seeing in the even in the original series movies, which only take place, you know, uh, ten to thirty years after what Discovery is going to be taking place in. So it's weird that they would completely revise all of their, you know, that they would like. Oh no, we're all cutting our hair now. And we've got these new ships. And then like 20 years later, oh no, we're going to grow our hair out again. And we've got these old ships again. So it's just weird. And I hope they square that up just for, you know, people like me. Um, But I really like this particular sect of the Klingons because they're really selling the whole like warrior cult and like the spirituality of their weird like war culture um, in a way that other versions of Star Trek have just kind of stumbled with. And haven't really got, but just, you know, the way they talk to each other and uh, even just the font of their subtitles, like, it adds so much character and believability to that, like, 
cultish nature that I'm, I'm really excited about where these where these things go. Kalis, by the way, the deity that they're talking about is Kalis the Unforgettable, which uh, is the uh, deified founder of the Klingon Empire and the one who outlined all of their cultural norms and their concept of honor. I see. Yeah. When I, when whenever we're in the Klingons, I was like, "This is some nerd shit right now." Like, <laughs> I, I'm like, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, and oh, I don't even pretend to like. It was just like I felt a little confused in this episode, like this this pilot, because I was just like, I really feel like not having some context here is making me miss out on some stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I, I honestly, I think it was it was supposed to be mysterious and a little scary, like because honestly, as somebody who you know follows this stuff pretty closely. Um, I don't think there was anything in there that was like, oh, because I know this, this makes more sense. Like you hear them talk about Kalis and you're like, oh, that's probably their God, you know? Yeah. And so like, um, I think they're supposed to be mysterious and weird right now. Um, and they cover their ship in the coffins of their dead. Oh, these dudes are so fucking metal. I love it. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, so so th this topic relates to sort of um, something I was wanted to ask. How's how's that handling like that trouble with prequel weirdness where, you know, it's made in the modern era and it's I mean, I guess Enterprise had to worry about this, too. But, you know, this show is particularly slick looking and, you know, the ships are different. Like you're, this kind of thing, like kind of like how everything it didn't make sense in the Star Wars, you know, Star Wars prequels, because like everything just like so much newer, even though it's 30 years prior or whatever. How's it? How's it handle that? Is there an explanation for that that I'm just not knowing, or is it? So I actually, how's, how's it treading that? Ground? I actually think they're doing pretty well in terms of the technology and the production design because the Starfleet uniforms that they're wearing are they look like an evolution of the uniforms that you see the the crew wearing on Enterprise. And then, so you remember in the 2009 movie where they have the you know the Kelvin disaster and Chris Hemsworth is Kirk's father. Chris, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so if you look at that uniform that he's wearing, which takes place about, you know, 30 years before, 20 years before, uh, you know, Captain Kirk's command, like th this looks like a good, like the middle ground between Enterprise and that uniform. And then they kind of make the change to the color-coded uh, color coded uh, shirts and stuff um, around that time. And they, I think even in that movie, they talk about this is the new uniform. So I'm pretty happy with where everything looks technologically. Um, the Federation ships look more low tech isn't the right word. But like when I compare that to like the next generation enterprise, you're like, oh, yeah, that is another 100, 150 years of advancement on top of that tech. Everything's a lot more streamlined and uh, smooth and beige. <laughs> like this does feel... It, it, Production values, or not production values, but production design-wise, I feel like it fits in with the timeline very well. That's cool. That's good to hear. So that means that there's people who are who are thinking about these things and ha handling it with care. Um, got it. Uh, so just to be clear, so the Kelvin divergence happens after this, right? Um, let me check my timeline. <laughs> because I know that it sort of happens like right around the time isn't it happened right around the time the original series is supposed to maybe kick off or start or something around those so, like, right before Kirk gets command? I believe the Kelvin disaster would have been in the like 2230s. This uh, takes place in the 2250s. So this is post what would have been the Kelvin disaster. But my understanding is this is the timeline where that doesn't happen. 
Okay. So this, this is, is the prime timeline. This is, yes, this is the timeline that connects with Next Generation. Interesting. Okay. I'm just, these kind of things matter to me. Yes, you know I that. know they do. <laughs> um, that's why I don't think I can become a Star Trek nerd because I think I'd drive myself fucking oh, insane. Oh, man. Because, man, it, it's, if you love the mental gymnastics that had to happen to, like, make all of Star Wars jive with itself in the extended universe, like, wait till you see the stuff they had to do to make, uh, you know, all of the old, you know, the old original series stuff jive with the new stuff. And even Gene Roddenberry apparently was like, when they're trying to make, you know, square the circle with all these things, he was like, don't bother. People get it. They know we made the show in the 60s. And we didn't have money for all that, for all that good makeup. Who cares? <laughs> like, no, yeah. like, no, we have to cope with some reason why. So anyway. And I know Star Trek didn't have as close of sort of like a guiding hand on its expanded universe. I saw that one chart. I think I linked way back and was our first episode, second episode or whatever, uh, where we talked about where Greg explained Star Trek to me. And it's just this crazy bonkers thing of like 50 different timelines and time travel and like all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff that all fits together kind of. Yeah. Um, well, and I think Roddenberry's vision was more about like, no, we're going to tell the stories that, you know, kind of communicate the ideas I want to communicate. And we're not going to be too concerned with making sure every little corner of this jives with every other little corner of this. Um, we want the world to be believable, but you know, let's not, let's not tie ourselves in knots around this. And then once, you know, <laughs> once he passed away everyone was like no let's tie ourselves in knots about it um just to be clear the uh the main character the commander yes uh she is a vulcany human she is not a vulcan human hybrid correct correct spock is a vulcan human hybrid she is a human who was raised by vulcans apparently the first human to uh be brought into Vulcan society, brought into Vulcan society by Sarek, who is Spock's father. Ah, okay. I was, I, I did not know that Spock was a Vulcan human hybrid. I thought he was just a Vulcan. You knew, you knew this, you knew this from the 2009 movie because his mom was Winona Ryder. I didn't remember that. This is a long time ago. <laughs> and that's, just, it's go, that's eight years ago and it was one time. All right. Um, his mom was really Winona Ryder. That's weird. Um, okay. That makes more sense. I one thing that tells me this show is made by people who like Star Trek is like their total commitment to making uh, uh, Vulcans have really that really dumb haircut. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so. I'm 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 a little bit worried about how Vulcany she is gonna be because she was really annoying for the first two acts of that show. Just the way she spoke and like not using contractions and always being like, you know, well, if you consider my success rate on these, and I'm like, oh my god can't stand it plus you know michelle yo's accent was not helping it was just very difficult to get through a lot of the conversations in the show for me yeah it was like those two th i actually kind of like that i kind of liked her stuff i thought she delivered it well but then like said the accent and then like that surrounded by the techno babble was just like i just thought i was i felt like i was like looking around like not really sure what was going on and like just tell me when just tell me when this is all resolved and the explosion happens or whatever's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, is that Star Trek or <laughs> I'm hopeful that they tone down that Vulcany stuff a little bit. Um, and also like, why did she keep that haircut, man? Woof. Well, hers, I wasn't the one I was, I mean, that's a weird one, but I wasn't too concerned about that because she's oftentimes just rushed for hair, but more that the, we say Spock stab, what was his name? Sarek. Sarek. It, like the, his haircut is just like, yep, that's yeah, that no, he weird bowl cut that like male Vulcans have, I guess. Yeah, he shows up 150 years later on Next Generation and he still has it. So, are Vulcans a long lived race? They are, yes. What's their like lifespan? I couldn't say, but Sarek, okay. uh, yeah, Sarek does show up um, in in Next Generation. 
Gotcha. Okay, that's cool. Building, building some worlds here, making some connections. I'm getting it. I actually almost was like, I kind of, I, I guess, I guess this is if I'm gonna say whether I liked it or not. I, I was like, when I saw the second episode was out, I was like, oh, I get to watch this one too. I was looking forward to it because it kind of leaves you on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, which I probably is that is that I feel like that's not very Star Trekky, but well, I mean, the first episodes, the first two episodes of Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint was a two-parter. Mm, okay, that's cool. Um, so I guess you, is it safe to say that you have the, you're, you're like excited? Yeah, man, this? I'm in, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of pissed. I didn't watch both episodes. I'm, I'm bought in on this. This is, this is Star Trek. It is scratching all of my Star Trek itches. Um, and having gone back and rewatched some of the next generation, uh, on Netflix recently, like there's a lot of they they get themselves into some trouble with the episodic nature of that show. There's a lot of holodeck episodes where they're like, Data's going to be Sherlock Holmes for this episode. <laughs> and that's just, we're just going to do one of those. Um, so they got a little ahead of themselves in a lot of ways. So maybe, maybe a more serialized uh, thing is going to be good. I was worried it was going to be too militarized and more about the... Uh, federation klingon war but it doesn't look like that's the route they're going it looks like more like kind of a cold war and like trying to not have this thing turn into a war is going to be more of the uh the plot and i'm i'm excited to see a show that's about keeping peace as opposed to blowing up all the bad guys yeah i mean that's one thing that really came across me was just like how like i really felt like i don't know how to describe it like how much the um captain what's her name uh i can't remember her I can't remember any of the names of the characters, sadly, but Michelle yeah. Yeoh is the is the actress. Right. Uh, so, but like, just like how against their mission engaging in combat is, yes. was really emphasized. And I thought it was like, they played it off really well that like, we cannot fight, period. Like, that's not what we do. Which is like, oh, okay, I get it. And like, that, and like when she, even like, even before that kind of conflict occurred, when she like killed that Klingon. I was like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. That's really <laughs> this is not gonna good. Be a problem. <laughs> this is going to be a bad problem for everybody, you know, for, for both like Klingon is doing like for a Klingon dying, but also for them having done it and for her having done it. And I was like, all right. So I am curious to see how they walk that line. And, you know, although I am, I am given the production value, I wouldn't mind seeing some, some cool space. You're going to see space some space battles. battles. But, You're going to see some yeah. space battles. So. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to learn how space battles in Star Trek work now. There is one the other thing. It's just a tiny little touch that I liked when they work when the when the Klingon ship decloaked and they were kind of facing off. Like, did you notice that the ships were not like dead on, like perfect angle facing each other? Like one was just kind of like forty five degrees off. Yeah. It's because you're in fucking space, man. It's not like that was one of the things that always bothered me about the other Star Trek shows. Is even though they're in space, everything always took place on like one kind of vertical plane. Like, yeah. uh, uh, but now it's just like, oh no, it's just kind of floating on its own angle because you're out in fucking space. There's no up or down. And I was like, hey, um, they finally got it right. Yeah, no, I like that. And I guess I have one more, one more technical question because I was confused as I was watching it. So those ships were there. That big ship was there the whole time. Correct. With the cloaking device. Yes. And that's something that Starfleet is unaware exists. Correct. This was the first time they encountered the cloaking device. Is that something that is like common Star Trek lore that like Klingons had cloaking devices? Or is that just like a, this is like a, it just felt like it was like a, I don't know. I just so like I was missing something. Klingons but. and Romulans both have cloaking technology. And I'm pretty sure that, um, I think it makes sense timeline wise that this would be the first time the Starfleet encounters cloaking. 
Okay, that's why they're like, how did it get here? Like, where did it come yeah. from kind of thing? And then the other ships were warping in. Right, that I got. That 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 I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with like the the dropping in. That that makes sense. <laughs> one one more technical question. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, were the other species that were on the ship on the uh, what's it? What's the ship's name? I forget. So this Sheng, is the Shangdu, Shangzhou, something like that. Which Shangzhou, yeah, is not going to be the the main ship. Or the main ship is going to be the Discovery. But I assume that the captain is going to die or something like that. Yeah, but, she is uh, credited as a guest star. So okay. Safe assumption then. Um, oh, it'd be nice just to have her be like, all right, you take your own ship yeah. down. I'll go off and do my own thing. That'd be kind of cool. Um, mix it up a little bit. Are you like, are those, is it typical Star Trek to like bring back other, I would say like sea level races, not Vulcans, Romulans, Klingons? Like are the other species on the deck of the ship? Like, are you familiar with them or are they like all brand new to your eyes? The only, Yeah, no, they were all, all brand new. I, the, um, I'm going to call him Saru, the Doug Jones character. Uh, he is a completely new race to the show. That's for sure. Um, and I think we saw some other people who had like a blue face or something. And I, I think that yeah. I don't, I don't think any of those are, are, are repeats. Okay. I was just curious like how common of that is like building those connections and, uh, okay, cool, cool. I'm going to ask more questions as we go. <laughs> on, but, uh, I think I'm good for now. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm on board though. I liked it. I think it was yeah. cool. I am excited to have a sci-fi show to watch because I do need to watch the second season of the expanse. Because that was scratching a different kind of sci-fi itch, but as far as like a, a really sci-fi itch, this is a really sci-fi itch. Yeah. And also it's it's fun to it's fun to be like, I watched Star Trek. Yeah, man. Check a box. I did it. Like it it's it, just like that feeling of like, man, Twin Peaks is on, on Sunday. Not anymore, but like being just being like, Oh man, I, I, I get to watch I'm gonna have a new hour of Star Trek to watch for the next eight weeks, and that makes me very, very happy. It's been a very long time since I've uh, I had a Star Trek show I cared about. Now, I might check out of this eventually, but um, I'm excited. Cool. Well, do you um, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I mean, I guess my recommendation is to watch Star Trek Discovery. Um, I definitely think it's worth the price of admission for the CBS streaming app. I think it's $6 a month, something like that. So you figure you pay for this thing for a month or two to watch this show, and then you turn it off. And uh, I think it is definitely worth the price of admission. Um, you know, you're paying a lot less than a dollar an episode for this thing. And, um, again, I think the production value is, you know, feature film level. So you are, it is, it is similar to Game of Thrones where you're watching it and you're like, holy fuck, they, they made the shit out of this. Um, and I, I, I think it, production, production values, it is on par with Game of Thrones. So you are definitely getting your money's worth and it's, it's fucking Star Trek. Go watch Star Trek. <laughs> Uh, I had two recommendations, one for each of our, um, <clears throat> excuse me, one for each of our topics tonight. The first one is um, I wanted to, there's a really good, and I, I have to find it, but I'll, I'll try and get it to you to put it in the show notes. Um, there is a really good, at the height of Marvel's Ares, kind of when he was around, uh, spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert, he was ripped in half by the century um, and has not appeared since. Um, although his son Phobos was a major character for a long time. Um, the God of Fear. Yes. I guess. Uh, was a kid by the way. Um, but anyway, uh, there's a really good like one shot that sort of has that, like, it might've been a max imprint. I'm not sure where it's just like Aries kind of like throughout time. And like, it's a really cool little one shot that I really think embodies like what Aries is all about. I actually remember I wrote like a, I was in mythology class and I like wrote a paper, a short paper about how it embodies like how he shows up in Greek mythology or something like that. That just came to me, but I'll try and find the exact, I think it's just called God of war or something along those lines, but I'll have to, 
find it and give it to you. The second thing I'll recommend is watching Star Trek made me, and I always knew this, but like really made me realize that, have you ever heard of a game called Space Team? No. So I think it was a card game, but now has been turned into a mobile game. Uh, and it's the worst fun you'll ever have with your friends. Basically, you all connect on your phone and you have a little dashboard that has um, like knobs and dials and <laughs> little things that you ha- that you move around. And then everyone is having uh, directions given to them, but they it's not for their board. They have to yell to tell someone else like, you know. Turn on the decrankulator. Set phasers <laughs> to four, and like you're just yelling all each other at the same. You can play up like two to six people or something, and whatever you really want to play and get like a real good headache. This is the way to like <laughs> sit down and like hate your friends for ten minutes. But it's really fun. It's free. You get on your phone, Space Team. Uh, it's it's the worst fun. But it's just like the, the whole techno babble thing. It's like oh, this is just techno babble the game essentially. <laughs> so I'm gonna recommend those two things. All right. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us this week. Um, I hope you have a good week coming up. Hope you feel better. Yeah, you too. Yeah, I'll do my best. See you next week. See you.